On January 25, 1959, a group of 10 hikers set out in the middle of the Russian winter on what was to be a two-week excursion into the wilderness. One hiker returned early. The other nine were never heard from again. Weeks later, their bodies were found, and it spawned a mystery that researchers are still trying to solve today. Learn more about the Dyatlov Pass incident on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's a whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. The event which became known as the Dyatlov Pass Incident started innocently enough. A group from the Ural Polytechnic Institute had planned to go out on an expedition across the northern Ural Mountains in January of 1959. The group was made up of students who had extensive outdoor and hiking experience. The leader of the group was a 23-year-old radio engineering student named Igor Dyatlov. The group consisted of eight men and two women, and all of them had received Grade 2 climbing certification in the Soviet Union and on their return, they would have received their Grade 3 certification. Grade 3 was the highest certification possible at the time in the Soviet Union, and required an excursion of at least 300 kilometers or 190 miles. Their goal was to reach a peak known as Gora or Torton Mountain. Making the trip in late January and early February was the absolute hardest time of the year to do it. Temperatures recorded while they were out dipped down to negative 13 Fahrenheit or negative 25 Celsius. The group had planned a route on a known trail and filed information about their trip on January 23rd, the day they left town. The group arrived by train on January 25th to the town of Ivdel, and on January 27th, they began their trek. 
One day later, one of the members of the group, Yuri Yudin, turned back due to problems with his knees that prevented him from continuing. The other nine hikers were never seen alive again. Dyatlov told his sports club at the university that he would send a telegram once the group was back to civilization, and that he didn't expect to be back until any later than February 12th. When February 12th had come and gone, there wasn't any immediate worry. A delay of a few days wasn't uncommon with an expedition like this. By February 20th, however, the families of the lost hikers began to demand that a search and rescue operation take place. A group sponsored by the university set out on the same route, and later, rescue teams using helicopters and airplanes joined the search. On February 26th, the bodies of the group were found on the slope of a mountain known as Kolat Sayakal, which in the native Mansi language means dead mountain. What the search party found was shocking. The tent that the group was staying in was found. The student who found the tent said, quote, The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. End quote. The tent had been cut open from the inside. From the tent, they found nine sets of footprints in the snow. However, the footprints weren't those of people wearing shoes or boots. These were footprints of people who were barefoot or who had socks on. The footprints went for 500 meters before they were covered up with snow. About 1.5 kilometers away, they found the remains of a fire in the first of the two bodies. They were only dressed in their underwear. On the trail back to the tent, they found three more bodies. Based on the positions they were found, it's believed that they were trying to return to the tent. The final four bodies weren't found until May when the snow started to thaw. They were found under four meters or 13 feet of snow, about 75 meters further into the woods and away from the tent from where the first bodies were found. They were better dressed than the other victims, and they appeared to have taken the clothes off the other victims as they were wearing a mishmash of clothing items. When the first five victims were found, the cause of death was initially listed as hypothermia. However, it was when the other four bodies were found over two months later that the mystery really began. One of those victims had a serious head fracture, and one had a massive chest fracture. The sort of force that would be required to cause such trauma would be along the lines of a car crash. Moreover, all four of the bodies had tissue damage to their head, including one that had both eyes and their tongue removed, and one that had their eyes missing, and another had lost their eyebrows. The strange circumstances surrounding the deaths of all these hikers began decades of speculation as to what might have happened. The case was officially closed by the Soviets in May of 1959, soon after the last bodies were found, and the cause of death listed for three of those last four was a compelling natural force. The other was hypothermia. The puzzle was trying to come up with a theory that fit all of the facts for all nine hikers. The fact that this occurred in the Soviet Union during the middle of the Cold War didn't help matters any, as the files were sent to a secret archive and the government was notoriously tight-lipped. One of the theories was that the group was murdered by a local group of Mansies in an ambush. The problem was, there was no evidence of any other people. There were no footprints other than the nine hikers, which still were clearly visible when they were discovered. Moreover, the Mansi had no history of this sort of behavior. Another theory is that the hikers killed each other. They may have had some sort of fight, perhaps due to romantic entanglements. However, they found diaries and cameras of some of the victims, and there was nothing to indicate that there were any problems within the group. Moreover, there was no evidence of a struggle, only of an evacuation. Another theory is that they were the victims of an avalanche. However, there was no evidence that was normally associated with an avalanche. There were no trees knocked down or debris which would have been carried by the snow. Moreover, the locals in the area which were part of the rescue operation were very familiar with avalanches and the signs they left behind. 
There have been over 100 expeditions to the location in the 60 years since the incident, and there has never been a single reported case of avalanche conditions in the area. The winds in the location where the bodies were discovered tend to blow snow away from the top of the mountain so it doesn't accumulate. Furthermore, most people who are killed in avalanches die of asphyxiation, not blunt force trauma. With none of the standard explanations making any sense, theories became more elaborate. One theory was that they were the victim of a military exercise gone wrong. On the evening they supposedly died, February 1st, other hikers in the region reported seeing orange lights in the sky. The theory holds that the military was testing parachute mines which would have been dropped from planes into the area. This would explain the orange lights in the sky, and supposedly there were some Soviet military exercises doing exactly that around the same time. The theory is that they heard an explosion and then ran out through the side of the tent in a panic without any clothes on. Yet another theory is that they fell victim to some sort of radiological experiment. Their clothes were found to have some very low-level radiation on them, and the skin of some of the victims was an orangish color. However, the skin color can be explained by the time the corpse is spent in the dry cold and the radiation might have come from the mantle of a lantern, which contains small amounts of the element thorium. Also, if there was some sort of radiological event, why was the radiation only found on the clothes and not everywhere else? Another theory is that many of them may have suffered from what is known as paradoxical undressing. This happens when you suffer from hypothermia and you paradoxically take off your clothes because you feel like you're burning up. But if this was the case, why did they then make a fire? Why not just walk out of the tent instead of cutting it open? And how did it happen to nine people at exactly the same time? Yet another theory is that they suffered from a rare catabatic wind episode. This is when dense air comes down the slope of a mountain at very high speeds. A similar event happened in 1978, which killed eight hikers in Sweden. There was one survivor which was around to tell the tale of the high winds. If there was a sudden onset of hurricane-forced winds that threatened to tear down their tent, it might have been the reason for them to escape without getting dressed. This is supported by one of the last diary entries which was found that reported they were experiencing high winds. Of course, after listing all these theories, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that yetis and aliens have also been given as explanations as well. Because, aliens. This mystery has never died, and to this day, people are still trying to unravel it. The latest theory came out in 2021 and was based on computer modeling of the area where the incident took place. According to this theory, the hikers fell victim to a rare localized slab avalanche. A slab avalanche is where a hard, stiff segment of snow breaks off and slides downhill. It isn't as large as a regular avalanche, where an entire mountainside of snow might come down as powder. Because the slab is stiff, it could cause blunt force trauma like a car accident. Because they tend to be very small and localized, you wouldn't see the normal evidence of an avalanche that you normally would. This theory, however, still doesn't answer everything or explain how the bodies got to their final resting place, or why the bodies with trauma traveled the furthest. The fact is, the Dyatlov Pass incident still remains a mystery. Personally, the thing that makes sense to me is that they were caught in some sort of rare event, like a catabatic wind or a slab avalanche, and then panicked and engaged in odd behavior which resulted in them being outside without clothing and running away from the tent. The Dyatlov Pass incident has captured the imagination of those attracted to mysteries for over 60 years. And, given the evidence, it probably will continue to do so for decades to come. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com. And remember, if you leave a review or send in a question, you too can have it read on the show.